First Thessalonians 3. First Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5. I, I am really enjoying uh, going through the book of First Thessalonians. Part of what I'm enjoying about it is it's a beautiful picture of taking care of each other spiritually. It's a beautiful picture of, of Paul kind of bringing the gospel to people and then, then moving it forward and, and establishing them in the faith and spiritual maturity. Man, I'm telling you, if there's ever a great small group primer, uh, discipleship primer, uh, this, this would be a great one. Of course, the whole New Testament is, is about that. Um, but I've certainly enjoyed those pictures uh, in First Thessalonians. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verses 1 through 5 today. If you'd like to stand, you sure can. Uh, we often do that in this service. First Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we, were de- we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Father, please... God, teach us about suffering. Uh, God, teach us this morning about affliction and persecution and struggle and pain. God, teach us what you're doing. Uh, God, show us, show us what you're doing in all of that. And Father, prepare us, God. Prepare us for when it comes. Prepare us for it coming today. Um, God, establish us. Reinforce our faith, Father. I pray that, that not one of us would, would be moved away from faith because of affliction. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right, so just a little trip through 1 Thessalonians. If you remember in chapter 1, Paul talks about how he brought the gospel to the Thessalonians, how they received it in much affliction, how, how they immediately bore fruit. They had a, a, a labor or a, a love that labored and a faith that worked and a hope that was steadfast. And, and they, they immediately began to be imitators of, of both Paul and Jesus. And then they became an example to other believers. So they, they immediately became disciples who would make disciples. And Paul was so proud of that. And then in chapter 2, he begins to talk to us about how he helped them to mature in the faith, right? Not enough to bring the gospel to people, but then you, you help them mature. And so Paul talked in chapter two about how he was like a spiritual mother, tenderly caring for, affectionately desirous of the believers. And then he was a spiritual father, how he was an exhorter and an encourager and how he charged them to live a life worthy of the gospel, right? And now in chapter three, he's talking about how he checks up on people, okay? So you have a, just a beautiful picture of really what we should be doing all the time bringing the gospel to people. As they receive it, uh, they begin to imitate the Lord and hopefully us as well. And they became, begin to be disciples. We make disciples and then we begin to mature them in their faith. And then you know what? We, after they're mature, we don't just let them go. Uh, we, we go back and check. And maybe the question on our plate today, I try to have a question for you at the beginning of every sermon, is who are you checking on? Like who, who are you checking up on in the faith? Well, Paul was checking up on the Thessalonians, but he had a problem here, and that's what he couldn't go back there. He couldn't go back there. He's in Athens. They've, they've gone to Athens. Paul had persecution everywhere he went. He was driven out of the city, and so he can't go back. So you know what he does? He sends a guy in his place. He sends a guy named Timothy. Uh, man, it's beautiful how, how Timothy is described here in verse 2. It says, Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker. 
Man, how would you like to be described as God's co-worker? Man, I, I'm, I'm, I work with God. I, I labor alongside my father. Timothy was God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. And so Paul, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on their faith. Now, this was a sacrifice for Paul. Uh, if you read this story in Acts, Paul's in Athens and he's by himself. Paul hates to be by himself. Uh, he's, he's trying to reach an entire metropolitan city with the gospel. He's, as far as we know, the only Christian in the city. And he's got to send everybody away. And Timothy, he tells us in, in First and Second Timothy, Timothy's like a son to him. He calls him my true child in the faith. And so this was a sacrifice. This would be like, those of you who, are, who have led small groups in the past, this would be like you taking your best small group couple. You know, every small group's got a couple that they can depend on, right? Like, hopefully you do. You're, if you don't, I'm sorry. Uh, but you know, you got a couple. They'll be there. You know, they'll bring food. They'll host it at their home. Man, those are precious people, aren't they? They're the kind of folks that you lean on, you can kind of count on. That's who Timothy was for Paul. He sends him away. And in Acts, he says, man, come back as soon as you can. Like, it, it's a hard thing. But, but he cannot bear not knowing how these folks are doing. And he wants to check in on them. He wants to check up on them in the gospel. Now, why does he want to check up on them? Because he's worried about how they're handling suffering, okay? That, that's the big issue here. The, the Thessalonian believers, Paul knows they're being persecuted. He knows they're experiencing suffering and hardship and struggle. And, and what he says in verse 3 is, is he says, he was afraid that they would be moved by these afflictions. That, that's the language he uses. He said he sent Timothy to, to make sure that they were not being moved. Now, what does he mean by being moved? He means moved away from faith, moved into unbelief. Okay, Paul, Paul is afraid that, that they've received the word of God, they begin to live the Christian life, they begin to mature in the Lord, but all of a sudden when, when suffering, sorrow, hardship, struggle begins to crush their life, Paul is afraid that's going to make them, it's going to pull them away from Jesus. It's going to push them away from the gospel. It's going to push them away from, from gathering together as believers. And, and let me just ask the question, can trials really do that? If you've been a Christian very long, you have seen that happen in other people's lives, haven't you? You, you've seen people that seem to be soaring in their Christian life, and then a struggle happens, a hardship happens, a trial happens, and it moves them away from faith. Um, I, I talked to a guy this week. He told me that very same thing. I just asked him why. I said, brother, you know, I, I, I was with you six months ago, and here's where you were, and, and you were here, and you were coming to men's breakfast, and you, you were thriving in the Lord. And I said, what happened? And he said, man, I, I hit this struggle. He said, this COVID thing, and, and he told me everything that happened in his life, and he said, I, I just fell back into sin. He said, I just fell away. He said, I lost hope. I kind of got mad at God. All right, Paul, Paul is wanting to make sure that does not happen to the believers because it can, it does. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is describing the different kinds of soil that the, the seed of the word comes into, he describes the rocky soil, and here's what he says about it. He says, for as for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So there's, there's kind of a reception of the word, but then yet it has no root in itself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, he falls away. And so the, the issue is this. How are we going to handle struggle? How are we going to handle affliction? You know, what do, how are we going to handle persecution or rejection or financial hardship or loss or sickness or the breaking down of our health? How, how are you going to handle it when your health breaks down? You know, some of you are saying, well, it's never going to break down. I don't know. I think the odds are against us, okay? The odds are against us on that. 
right? How are you going to handle betrayal or slander, hurt in your marriage or broken relationships or prison or cancer, the loss of a business? How are you going to handle COVID-19? How are you going to handle those things? And here's what, here's what Paul knows. Satan is going to be right there angling to hurt your faith. Notice verse 5, okay, how, how our passage ends here. He says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And if you ever read the book of Job, you absolutely know that Satan will try to use affliction. He will try to use pain and suffering to turn you away from God. And Paul is afraid of that. He's afraid that the gospel would have come to them in vain, that they, that they would not go on to, to endure and to be fruitful in their faith. And so Paul sends Timothy. He sends Timothy to do a couple things. Notice in, uh, where is it, verse 3? He sends Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith. Now, that first word establish, it means to, to fix something secure, all right? To nail it down. That, that's the Jason Dirks interpretation, okay? Establish means to, you're going you're gonna to reinforce it, all right? If you've ever, if you ever watched on the news when uh, the folks in, in Florida know there's a hurricane coming, the difference between a hurricane and a tornado, the difference between Florida and Oklahoma is we get about three minutes notice, all right? They get like a month, all right? So, but you know what they do? They, they begin to nail things down, right? They begin to, you know, batten down the hatches. They begin to put plywood over the windows. They begin to, you know, I don't know what they do with a trampoline. That's, I've always wondered, what do you do with a trampoline when the hurricanes come? You know, bury it, or I'm not sure what you do. But they, they reinforce stuff. They nail it down. That's what that word establish means. Paul sends Timothy to establish their faith, to reinforce, to brace up, to nail down, to, to establish their faith. And then he says, he sent him to exhort them in the faith. That word exhort, that's one we looked at a couple weeks ago when when we talked about how Paul was a spiritual father and he was exhorting. It's the word parakaleo. It means to come alongside. So Paul sends Timothy to come alongside these, these folks that are hurting and to reinforce, to establish them in the faith. Now, how is Timothy going to do that? How's he going to do that? Well, first of all, what we can clearly see in our text is Timothy is going to remind them that they are destined for affliction. You were hoping for some better news than that, weren't you? Verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Okay, now this is taught everywhere in the Scriptures. In fact, you know what the apostles did a really good job of? They did a really good job of telling people this from the front, right off the bat. Uh, some of you may not have had that luxury. Some of you may have came to, the, to Christ or came to the gospel and, and, and you were under the impression that this is gonna fix all your problems, right? Like I, I think some people preach the gospel that way. That, hey, th- th- you're not gonna have any more trial in your life, you know? I mean, everything, you're not gonna get sick anymore and your, your, your broken marriage is all of a sudden gonna be nothing but happy and roses and you're gonna get promoted in your job and you're gonna get a raise. And you know, some of you may have heard a version of the gospel in that way let me tell you, that is not the way the New Testament presents the gospel. Let, let me tell you how Paul and Barnabas and the team, when they, when they would go somewhere, here's a great example, Acts 14, uh, verse 21 says, they preached the gospel to that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, Then listen to what they said in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In 2 Timothy, Paul, Paul tells Timothy in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be 
persecuted. Okay, We are taught to expect suffering, expect hardship, expect difficulty. Life was hard for the Apostle Paul. There's this great paragraph or so in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul describes his, his, his life. And life was physically hard for Paul. It talks about him being shipwrecked and, and beaten and imprisoned. It talks about him going hungry and being thirsty and having to stay out, outside, having to live and in, 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 being exposed. It, it was hard emotionally for the Apostle Paul. And, and 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says, Apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And, and life was really relationally hard for the Apostle Paul. It was physically hard. It was emotionally hard. It was relationally hard. That's 2 Corinthians 4, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4 is a passage I come back to you guys a lot with because it means a lot to me just to see Paul being real. And here, here's the way Paul talks about his friendships. He says in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. It's coming, just not yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. 2 Timothy 4. He says, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And then you go down a little bit further into verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord may repay him according to his deeds. Then go down to verse 16. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Man, Paul had people leave him. Paul had people slander him and attack him. And when Paul's greatest need came at his trial, nobody was there for him. Like Paul's life was physically hard, emotionally hard. And relationally hard. And, and what he's telling us is that should not be surprising. That is not a surprising thing in the Christian life. Peter says that exact same thing in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Let's say you're a Christian here this morning. Say you're a Christian and you would say, I'm a Christian, I'm trusting Jesus, but I have cancer. And my mom just died, and my friends have rejected me because of the gospel, and I just lost my job to COVID-19. And you know what a lot of people are going to say? They're going to be tempted to say, I must be doing something wrong. I, I must be doing it wrong. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? I've had, I've had people tell me that. They, they came to Christ, and they're trying to live out their faith, and man, the, their whole life has just seemed to unravel on them. And, and they'll ask, man, I, I must not be doing this right. I, I must be doing something wrong. I, I must not be following Jesus like I'm supposed to be following Jesus. And, and Paul sends Timothy to the Thessalonians and say, hey, guys, remember, we were destined for this. Like, you're not doing anything wrong. Life is, is hard, and life is going to be hard. And, and listen, you're following Jesus. You know what Jesus said about following him? In John 15, verse 20. He said, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus said, you're, you're most likely going to be treated just like I was treated. But he, here's the news, okay, guys? Jesus suffered in every way that you are called to suffer, okay? But not only that, let's go a little further. Jesus not only suffered in every way that you called to suffer, Jesus actually suffered for you. Jesus actually suffered in ways that you'll never suffer because of his suffering. In fact, I, I would go so far to say this is absolutely true. Jesus took all of your worst suffering, okay? So in 1972, I was born, and if you would have laid out my life on a timeline, okay, I don't know how long I'm gonna live, but let's just say you could have known how long I was gonna live. In 1972, I was, I was lost. I, I was apart from Jesus Christ. And if you laid out all the suffering that was ahead for me as a lost guy, 
all the suffering that I was going to experience under the judgment of God in an eternal hell. Jesus Christ has taken most all of that, right? The, the only thing left for me is this little sliver of this life right now. But, but Jesus actually has taken away most of all of my suffering. And now I'm following him in a broken, perishing world. And I'm following him in a broken, perishing body. And what hopefully we know this morning is that that broken, perishing body thing is probably not going to get better. Okay? The 18-year-olds, they're going to argue about that. They did in the last service. They smirked at me. When I told them that their body was going to give out. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away. Our outer self is wasting away. I know in America we try to do a lot of things to combat that, don't we? We, we go to great lengths to try to think that we're, we're, we're never going to waste away. I'll be running marathons in my 90s, you know. Maybe if they make one of them little hover chairs, maybe, Okay. But, but the reality is for most of us, all of us, at some point, our bodies are wasting away. Now, you might be asking, man, this, this, this sermon, does it have any good news in it, Pastor? Like, so far, we've had a lot of bad, okay? I, I'm telling you, though, this is good news. How does this help to establish and exhort us in our faith? How does it help? Well, it helps in two tremendously helpful ways. Number one, there is nothing wrong with your faith because you're suffering, Okay. There's nothing wrong with your faith because you're suffering. Now, if you're suffering because of sin, that's a different story, you know? If you're mean as a snake to everybody in your family and all of a sudden things aren't very happy, well, there's a reason, right? But, but I'm, I'm talking about just the general suffering of this life. There's nothing wrong with your faith because you're suffering. And then second of all, here, here's the beautiful thing. What we're going to see in just a minute is God has a purpose for all of it. God has a purpose and a design. When, 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 when Paul tells the Thessalonians here, you were destined for this, implied in that is that God's paying attention. Not only is he paying attention, but he's got a design for every bit of your suffering. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But let me try to give you an example of how this helps, okay? How, how knowing this should help and encourage and establish you in your faith. All right, I'm going to use a, a hiking illustration. Now, I've recently been told that I use way too many hiking illustrations. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you an alternate, okay? Some of you, you say, I don't like hiking. I don't like all you talking about the outdoor thing. All right, so today what I want you to do is as, this, as the illustration progresses, you change all the hiking imagery to a great sale at Hobby Lobby, okay? A, a Hobby Lobby, $1 for everything, you know, anything in the store for a dollar, endless supply sale, all right? You just change that in your mind. If you don't like the hiking thing, then you, you convert it yourself, okay? I'm gonna go with hiking, all right? So let's say I invited you on this hiking trip of a lifetime. We're gonna, we're gonna go to the greatest peak. We're gonna see the greatest waterfall. We're gonna hike the greatest mountain. We're gonna have the greatest meadow in all the world. This is guaranteed to be one of the greatest experiences experiences of your life. Now, we start out, and we are excited, okay? We're excited. We got a spring in our step. Our packs are not heavy. We're thinking, man, we are, we are guaranteed going to the greatest, good, best hiking experience of my life, and we're just super excited about it all, okay? And then it starts to get hard, all right? It starts to get rocky and lose scree, and, 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 and the trail gets narrow, and pretty soon we're on a little narrow trail on the side of a cliff, and there's a thousand foot drop, and it's scaring the, 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 everything out of us, and pretty soon we start going through this 
part where the trail seems to get real fuzzy and, and there's these thick bushes that have these thorns on them and we got to work our way through them and they're tearing at our clothes and tearing at our skin. Then we run into the gnats from Hades. Have you ever been in those? I mean, just those little stinging things and they're stinging us all over and pretty soon the sun comes out and it's oppressive heat and, and we're going through the bushes that uh, snagging at us and the trail seems to disappear and it's hot and it's steep and it's loose and we're falling and we're scraping our skins and pretty soon we turn around to our guide and we ask the key question. We, we ask the question that's been on everybody's heart. Are we on the right trail? Right? Like that, that's what I, are we, is this, you said glorious peak, glorious metal, glorious white. Are we on the right trail? Now you know what would be terribly defeating? Is if the guide said, I'm not sure, I don't know. Ninety-eight percent of people would turn around and go back, right? Man, if you don't know this is the right trail, if you don't know this leads to glory, I'm going back to car. I got a sandwich and Gatorade. I'm going back there. But what if the guide said this? What if he said, "Absolutely, this is this this is always the way it is. This is the price to pay for glory." All right, let's go. Right? See that? That's what. That's what Paul is, that's how he's establishing, first of all, the, the Thessalonians' faith. He's telling them, guys, I know it's hard. This is the path to glory. There's nothing going wrong here. There's everything's going right here. This is the way to glory. All right, now, is that, is that all that Timothy told him? I, I think there's probably more. And, and I, I want to tell you about the more in just a second. But here's the key. You see what Timothy's doing? He is preparing them for affliction. You see, we need to be prepared for this. Notice what, notice how he phrases this. He says that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Where when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. You see what Paul did really well? And he, he prepared people for it. I honestly think you need to prepare your kids for hardship in life. You know, I think, I think sometimes in, in a nation like ours, we, we tend to think we should prepare our kids for comfort. Like we tend to think we should try to remove all of the affliction from their lives. We should try to we should try to remove all the hardship and we should we should just try to give them an easy life all the way to the end. You better hope you live a long time and you have a lot of money, I guess, cuz it's going to be hard to do that. But but what Paul was really good at with his spiritual children was he was he would tell them up front. He would prepare them beforehand that this is going to happen. And and so Timothy is sent to them and he, he's going to tell them, number one, hey, you're destined for this. There's nothing going wrong. There's everything going right, okay? But then I got to believe that he told them a bunch more, okay? He went there and probably stayed, I don't know, weeks, months. I don't know how long he was there. But, but I'm sure that he told them a lot more. We just don't have it here in First Thessalonians 3. But you know what we do have? What we do have is a bunch of letters written by Paul to a bunch of different churches talking about trials, talking about affliction, okay? So what I'd like to do with the rest of our time it's, and I'll just be super honest with you. I'm picking my three favorites, okay? I'm picking my three favorite things that Paul says about trials and affliction and hardship in his letters. Because I got to believe that Timothy communicated those. I, I can't prove that to you. But I know Paul sent him. And I know this is what Paul said to all the other churches. So I got to believe that these three things, probably plus a whole bunch more, were included and I, I, I want to share those with you, okay? And I'm going to share them with you as far as scriptures, okay? They don't really have a, there's not really a, a sentence, there's a scripture, okay? I'm, I'm pretty sure Paul shared 
Romans 8, 28, or I'm sure, pretty sure Timothy shared Romans 8, 28, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, and 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 11. I, I got to believe that Paul shared those things, all right? So I'm going to share them with you. First of all, Romans 8, 28, okay? What does Romans 8, 28 say? Well, first of all, you need to know that this is one of the most encouraging passages concerning trials in the Bible. This, this, this one verse has probably been more helpful to people in the midst of affliction um, than I think any other verse in the Bible. And it says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And one of the things that's going to establish your faith is when you realize that God, as a believer, when you're loving God, there, there's the qualifier, when you're loving God, when you're loving Him and pursuing Him, God is going to turn all the things. He's going to work all the things that you're enduring for good in your life, right? Exhibit A is the cross, okay? God, see, God's really good at this. I, 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 want, I want you to see that God is really awesome at taking bad things and redeeming them for good. And, and the greatest example of that is the cross, right? What, what do you have in the cross? Well, the cross is the most wicked act in the human history. The cross is the most evil thing that has ever been done, right? The, the creator God steps out of the heavens and he steps into human flesh. He comes to visit us. He comes to, he comes to bring us the message of salvation. And what did men do? Well, they slandered him. They falsely accused him. They mocked him. They spit upon him. They tortured him and they crucified him. And what did God do with that? Well, God raised Jesus from the dead and he accepted his payment for sin. And he bought a way for you to spend in eternity, in glory. Okay, see, God is good at that, isn't he? God, God is good at taking horrible things and redeeming them for good. And the Bible is, is so clear about that. All right, now, now the struggle that we have, though, is the how and the when, right? That's the struggle we have, isn't it? Is the how and the when. How's God gonna do this? So maybe, maybe you've got cancer. Maybe, maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you had someone in your family die an untimely death and you're like, how, how is God gonna redeem this? How's, gonna, how's God gonna work this out for good? Maybe you have a painful relationship in your life. Maybe you've been financially devastated and the question is, God, how are you gonna do this and when are you gonna do it? Well, unfortunately, I can't give you the how and the when, but I, but I can tell you that God is faithful to do both of those things. You know, when I look back in the scriptures, I, I got I to gotta believe that there's a whole bunch of those folks that didn't, didn't know either. But when we read their story, we really rejoice that God did it. Look at, think about Joseph. You know, when, when his brothers threw him in that pit, I got to believe they roughed him up pretty good, stripped the robe off of him, dipped it in some blood, faked his death, chained him, and, and he's headed off into slavery. As he hears their voices laughing, I got to believe that Joseph had no idea that in two decades, he would be the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world, and he would have saved both his family, Israel, and really the nations surrounding them from a horrible famine. Yes, he's walking away in chains. Is there any way that he could have said in his mind, well, I know how God's going to do this. I know how God's going to work this side. Even though he'd had dreams and visions of God blessing him, I, I got to figure there was no way he could have known that. But he trusted God. I got to think about old Abraham and Sarah. Let's, let's go back one, just a couple days before Genesis 12, you know. They're there in Ur. Oh, whatever, they 74. Abraham was 74. Childless, looking at the golden years ahead of him. 
I, I got to figure there's no way that David could have thought or that Abraham could have thought in 25 years, my, my wife's going to give birth in her 90s. And I'm going to hold my son who's going who's to turn into a nation. And from that nation, there's going to come one who's going to save the world. You see, I, I, I just think none of us know, right? We don't know. Like when we're, when we're in the midst of affliction, when we're in the midst of hardship and trial and struggle, we, we don't know what God is doing. We just got to trust him. And as I look around, I'm just looking at many of you guys, and I, I wish I could just tell your story up here. Because I know, I know a lot of your stories. And, and I, know how, I know how you've gone through some really difficult things. I, I was looking at a couple people in the, in the eight. 8.30 service, and man, they've just, I, I wish I could have told their story about them being in my office, just falling apart, like life is over, it's all is lost, and then seeing how through the years, God, God redeemed that stuff. Isn't it cool when you get to see it? Sometimes we even get a, sometimes we get little glimpses of just small things like this. I, I was telling the story just a few months ago, uh, we were getting ready to go to my daughter's wedding in Washington, D.C., and I had spent more than I have ever spent in my life on a place to stay. Um, we needed room for uh, our family, and we needed to be in walking distance from the church because we had to, obviously, if you've ever done a wedding, there's a lot of, a whole lot of bunch of stuff, right? So I'd paid more than I'd ever paid for a place, and, but I, I sucked it up and smiled and did it. And, and then four days before we were to leave, uh, the Airbnb company emailed me and said, Hey, we're sorry we sold the place. We'll give you your money back next month. Thanks for shopping with Airbnb, you know? And that was it. I mean, I, I got to tell you, that was kind of a, a dark, there was a lot of anger that night, you know? How dare they? What in the world? You know? And we started looking. We can't find a place. I mean, we, we'd scoured the place for months to find that one. And all of a sudden, late, late that night, there's a place that pops up on the, that wasn't there before. Place popped up on the search. And I start looking. It's, I can't believe it. It's like three doors down from the church. Okay? But it doesn't have a parking spot. The other one had a parking spot. That was another thing. We needed a car. We had to take everything. Doesn't have a parking spot. But I was like, man, we got to get it. Get it. You know? So we got it. Man, it turns out, um, so thankful that with what God did. We, I had to make about 25 trips ironing tablecloths back to the apartment uh, the thing we rented, where we had an iron and ironing board before the wedding. If I'd have had to do that on a twenty-mile run or a twenty-minute run, I, tell you, I think I'd have had a heart attack. All right, God knew what He was doing. We get there, I, we rented the car. I said, "Well, I've got no place to park it. At least we'll take our luggage to the place and we'll be done." As we're as we're taking our luggage to the place, um, we picked up some of the bridesmaids and gave them a ride. And I was just using the car as much as I could before I had to take it back because I had no place to put it. And one of the bridesmaids says, you know, I, I know a guy. I know a guy. I think he's got a parking pass. Like, he's been here forever. He's got one of those, you can park anywhere in this district passes, you know. And I was like, really? <laughs> she gave him a call. He said, come by. I got to park wherever I wanted for a week, right? Don't you have stories like that where it looks like all is lost, and then God says, hey, would you just be quiet? I'm, I'm giving you what you need here, Right? And you got, you got stories like that in your life. You've got stories where, where, where God brought you through a time of affliction. And in the time, you thought all was lost. But, but as you just waited patiently, God worked it out for good. 
So first thing I believe that Timothy would have established and exhorted them with was that Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. The second one is, I think, even more exciting. It is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Um, This is a favorite of mine. Here it is. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, so here's another thing the Scripture is going to tell us. There are some things in this life where we'll suffer and the reward will not come until glory. Okay, we'll just be honest. Matthew 5, 11, 12, right there in the Sermon on the Mount says that. It says, blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake. You'll, your reward will be great where? In heaven. Not in Woodward, in heaven, right? And so there, there are some, some struggles and trials and hardships that, that will not be made right until glory. But here's what those verses are clear about. They will be right in glory, okay? And verse 17 gives us a little glimpse of that equation, okay? Let me read verse 17 again. 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All right, now, when you read that, you might just think he's saying, hey, now it's kind of bad, later it's going to be better. He is saying so much more than that, all right? What he's saying is the bad that we are experiencing now is actually being converted into glory later. The bad that we're experiencing now, if experienced in faith, if experienced in loving Jesus, holding on to him, clinging on to him, following him, if in following him we experience these bad things, every one of those is converted into an eternal weight of glory is the way Paul describes it. In other words, the sufferings of this life create glory in the next. They increase the glory that is coming. Every moment of pain endured in Christ, for Christ, hoping in Christ, will be converted to glory later on. When you think about the ramifications of that, they're mind-boggling. I was, listening, I was uh, reading something John Piper wrote uh, quite a while ago. I, don't, I can't believe I've never come across this. But, but he was talking about the suffering that many people endure before death. So, I, man, looking around, I've got to believe that many of you have sat with people on their deathbed. And, and some of you maybe have sat not, not for a day, not for a week, but for months. And how many times have, have you had a grieving family in a moment of pain say something like, why doesn't God just take them? Why doesn't he just take them? What, what's the use of them suffering here right now? What's, what's the use of them gasping for breath? What's the, why, why doesn't he just take them? Well, guys, apply this verse to that, all right? So verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, now Paul doesn't define what light momentary affliction he's talking about. In fact, in verse 16, he talks about how our outer self is wasting away. That, that's just our bodies breaking down. Actually, the context of that fits, doesn't it? Could it be that many times God leaves somebody to linger? Could it be that as they, as they fight, 
in faith to hold on to their joy and to hold on to Christ and to hold on to Jesus in, in, in the last days of their life? Could it be that God is allowing that because every one of those moments is actually being converted into glory? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? That actually those months were increasing the glory that was to come. They were being converted into glory. Wow. Almost no suffering becomes meaningless when we look at it from that perspective. And then, and then look at how he finishes that. He says, this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all, what does beyond all comparison mean? That, that means when you, when you set the suffering of this life besides the glory that's coming, Paul says the glory to coming is so big that it eclipses the suffering. Like you can't compare like when you can compare something, you can say, well, it's th this is this big and this is this big. Paul says, you're, you no longer can compare it. Why? Because this one eclipses this one. We're going to walk outside here in a moment. And when you look up, I want you to count the stars. Count the stars in the sky. You're going to have trouble. Why? Did they disappear? I used to think that when I was a kid. They're actually all still up there. I got this cool app on my phone, uh, and, and you, can, you can point it anywhere, and it'll tell you where the stars are. You can even point it down into the earth, and it'll tell you what stars are on the other side of the earth. But he, the stars are all still up there. You, you can't see them because the glory of the sun eclipses them, right? The radiance, the brightness of the sun eclipses the rest of the stars. That's what's going to happen for every believer in glory. So Romans 8, 28, I got to believe Timothy exhorted and established them with that. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 38. Let me give you one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just back a page from where we were. I like this one because Paul's in a, Paul's in a tough spot here. A lot of times we think as a Christian we can't ever be in a tough spot. Paul's in a tough spot. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's, that's a dark time. When you're so utterly burdened beyond your strength that you despair of life, that, that's tough. And, and so what, what happened here? Well, Paul says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. You see, for, for a lot of our lives, we've got things like bank accounts and, and health and family and friendships and business and um, purposeful lives that we kind of depend, we, we rest upon, don't we? Like, like we lean upon those and they, they kind of help us get through, they, they encourage our hearts, okay? But Paul says, man, he entered a time where, where every one of those things just got kicked out and, and, and he didn't have any of them. He didn't have his health, and he didn't have friendships, and he didn't have, he didn't have comfort. He had, he had none of those things. And he said, man, it taught us to rely upon God. It made us rely upon God alone. We began just to look to God for all that we needed. And what happened? Look at verse 10. Here's the result of that. It says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And then I love the, the change in verb tense here. And he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope right now that he will deliver us again. What? When everything got kicked out and Paul 
just had to depend on God alone. You know what the result of that was? Confidence for the future. And Paul's like, man, we're pretty bold now. When, when everything's gotten kicked out and you've had to rely on God alone and he comes through for you, man, you're, what do you got to be afraid of? What can the future hold that's too big for a God that's already proved himself faithful? So I, I think Timothy went to Thess- Thessalonica, and for sure he, he told them, hey guys, don't let these things rock you. You were destined for this. Trials are going to come. Afflictions are going to come. Struggles going to come. You're following Jesus. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to you. Not only that, but Jesus has taken most of it away for you. I got to believe that he shared with them that all things, God's working all things for good to those who love him. Romans 8, 28. I got to believe he, he shared 2 Corinthians 4 that God is, God's converting the, the suffering of this life into glory in the next. And I got, I got to believe that that Timothy bared testimony that when everything gets kicked out from underneath you and you learn to rely on God, that actually brings confidence for the future, not fear. And I got to believe that these guys were strengthened and established in their faith and they endured. Guys, let's get prepared, shall we? Let's get, let's get prepared for the suffering that's coming. Some of you are saying, coming, it's here, right? All right, well, let, let's get prepared for that. God, God does not want you to be moved in these afflictions. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this church, this body of believers. God, I thank you for the gathering of the saints. I thank you for being able to worship and, and to, to sing with our mouths, God, that you are worthy, that you are good, that you're faithful. You're everything that we need. Father, I, I pray that you would establish and exhort these believers here. Father, strengthen them in their faith. Strengthen them, Father, for the afflictions that will come. Father, we ask that you would do that in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.